The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. Have you ever found yourself frustrated in a disagreement with someone you love? Have you ever wished you had better skills in terms of handling arguments? Would you like to see something positive result from the negativity of a fight? Our guest on this episode, James L. Creighton, is here to help. James is a psychologist and relationship consultant whose latest book is called Loving Through Your Differences, Building Strong Relationships from Separate Realities. Thank you so much for joining us today. Good to be with you. So what inspired you to write this book? Well, most couples fight, and some couples fight a little, some fight a lot, and my wife and I were kind of on the fight a lot end of the scale. And so we've been working our entire marriage at uh, finding things that help us bridge the gap and so on. We're we're at 53 years and and rolling still, so I guess we're going to make it. (laughs) You've done something (laughs) right, I guess. Well, when you you talk about fighting and and that you were on the the spectrum of fighting more than than most couples, you think, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think the real issue is how you handle the fights when you have them. Fighting a lot can be a dangerous thing or fighting a lot can be an okay thing if when you do fight, you handle them such a way that there's some resolution. I have some friends who make it a point to try to avoid conflict in their relationships. And I'm wondering if you feel like all couples need to have disagreements in order to have healthy relationships. I think they must be very new in the relationship or they will have them. Yeah, The core concept behind the book actually is that we all perceive reality differently. Or as I put it, we each have a separate emotional reality. And and it starts very simply. Uh, My wife and I go to a movie. I think it was a lot of fun. And she thinks it was really boring. She doesn't like car chases. And... uh, (laughs) Off, off we go, and in, in the lobby afterwards, if we compare notes, we could get into an argument about whether it was a good movie or a bad movie, and you know, we could even, with a little skill, we could turn that into a fight. But the reality is, I enjoyed it. She was bored. It's a fact that I was enjoying it, and she was bored. We each experience life through our own lens, and our own lens is everything that has ever happened to us uh, causes us to evaluate an experience and we feel hurt by it or thrilled by it or rejected by it or whatever. But it's not really caused by that outside event. Otherwise, we couldn't have the same event and have two people with two different reactions. All of our feelings are a product both of the external event and the interpretation that we give to that external event. And that's what I mean by uh, separate realities, is that no one else's reality will be exactly the same as yours. So the couples who are uh, trying hard not to uh, have disagreements, uh, they will. 
<laughs> just, just wait. <laughs> well, don't we get into relationships with people because we think, oh, this person really understands me. They're exactly like me. They really, they really get me. So at what point does it turn from that to being someone that doesn't see the world in quite the same way? Or has it always been that way and you just didn't acknowledge it? Well, that, that's certainly true that many couples get together because at last they found somebody in the universe whose reality is sort of like theirs. And so they make a big thing of the fact that they perceive life the same uh, and actually feel almost more betrayed when suddenly the reality of he has one experience and she has another. Once that finally happens, now they're really scared because uh, it's reared its ugly head. But the, the reality is that everybody perceives life differently than everybody else. We all have an individual emotional reality. And the reason that's important is because if you get into a disagreement and you're into this thing of everybody has to be alike, then the other person who now suddenly has different feelings and different experience, there must be something wrong with them or they're, they're bad or they're making a fuss about something or they're undermining you or doing some evil interpretation of the other person instead of it's just absolutely inevitable that people, two people will have different emotional experiences and the challenge is to understand and learn from each other's differences rather than to judge the other person as a bad person because they're not perceiving it the way you perceive it. So then how do you resolve disagreements based on these different emotional realities? Well, of course, that's what the whole book is about. But the first skill, of course, is listening. And that seems to be at times the hardest of all. And we spent some time in the book talking about a skill called active listening, where you actually summarize your understanding of what the other person's feeling and thinking and confirm it with them. But if you can't do that, and my experience is at times the last person on earth I can listen to at time is my wife and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we, we use something called the five-minute rule. The way the five-minute rule works is either person can call the five-minute rule, and once it's called, you stop whatever you're doing. All you can talk about is who goes first and flip the coin if you can't agree on that. And that person then gets five minutes to say whatever he or she wants, however they want, without any interruption, preferably without even any loud body language, and return for which you then switch, and the other person gets five minutes. The reason it works is most of the time when we say we're listening, what we're doing is about every 20 seconds, we're telling the other person they're wrong, they're bad, stupid, or crazy for feeling the way they feel, and so on. And five minutes without interruption is long enough that some of the heat and the steam goes out of it. I know about four minutes, I'm beginning to bore myself. <laughs> and if you still have to go around again, like you do another five minutes and so on, and it doesn't always end spectacularly, sometimes it's just, well, I don't have anything more to say or something like that. Yeah. That's still not a bad jumping off point for another discussion later or for a problem-solving session or something like that. But so the first part is really listening. And then the second part is sending feelings rather than judgments. Go back to that nice, simple example of, of the theater. If I say it's, that was a really great movie and she thinks that's an awful movie, we're contradicting each other. If I say, I really enjoyed that, and she said, I was really bored, both can be true at the same time. And this is true of most discussions. If what you send to the other person is judgment, particularly if it's a blaming judgment, you're often running. You're going to start escalating because her response to his 
comet is always going to be to try to top it, and then he'll try to top her, and off they go. If instead you can get down to sharing actual feelings, hurt, angry, sad, frustrated, and so forth, you can allow the other person to feel differently than you do, even though your judgments may be different. So those are the beginning. There are some problem-solving steps that can help, but those are some of the first steps in being able to handle differences in a loving manner. We thank you for being part of our Nobody Told Me family of listeners. And we want to take a minute to talk about Hover, one of our sponsors. That's Hover, spelled H-O-V-E-R. Have you ever thought about starting your own business or creating a brand, sharing your wealth of knowledge with the world, using your years of experience to create something for yourself? Hover wants to help you take the first step in getting your ideas off the ground. If you have a brand that you've always dreamt of building or a business you want to take online, the first step is finding your domain name. Hover makes this super simple with a clear and straightforward user experience, easy to use tools, and truly amazing support from friendly humans. It's never too late to step up to the plate and share what you have to offer. Getting online has helped thousands of people around the world reach new heights with their businesses. In addition to the classics like .com, you can get extensions like .shop, .tech, and .art with over 400 more to choose from. You'll be able to find the perfect domain name for your business, one that's memorable, relevant, and boosts your brand. You can buy a domain, set up custom email boxes, and point it to your website in just a few clicks. If you ever run into trouble, help is just a phone call or chat away. Secure, simple, and reliable. Hover is a trusted and popular choice amongst millions of people launching any kind of brand or business. If you're ready to get your idea off the ground with the perfect domain name, head to hover.com slash nobody to get 10% off your first Hover purchase. Maybe you want to buy a domain name for someone as a gift for the holidays. You may even want to secure your child's name as a domain name for privacy purposes. Again, that's hover.com slash nobody to get 10% off your first Hover purchase. That's hover, spelled H-O-V-E-R dot com slash nobody for 10% off your first purchase. You know, one of the things that you advise in the book that I found fascinating. You advise people not to use phrases like, I hear you saying, or if I understand you in an argument. And sometimes experts will recommend that people do that, that they sort of mirror the emotions being expressed by the other person. What's wrong with saying, if I understand you, or I hear you saying? Well, if you do it once, nothing's wrong with it, really. But if you do it as a steady diet, you're also saying, in effect, watch me do my technique thing. And if uh, I really am feeling bad about something or hurt about something and so on, I don't want to be techniqued. So it calls attention to the listener is my big problem with it. You can do the same thing by just saying you're feeling hurt, such and such, instead of I hear you feel that. The experts are doing that because they want to remind the listener that the listener is still interpreting what the person said, but in my mind, it just gets in the way. It's real technique It's, you know, way too California-ish. And the stronger the feeling and the more dramatic the situation, the more people don't want to feel like they're being techniqued. Yeah. Can you talk to us about the difference between I and you statements and why that's important? Okay. Well, this goes, this goes back to the feeling versus judgment thing and so on. But any, any statement that starts with you did this, you did that, so forth and so on, is blaming and it's going to create defensiveness and so on. Uh, even you made me feel still says the other person caused the feeling and is to blame. Uh, it's factual that I felt 
a certain way. That you made me feel that way is not necessarily factual. It's my interpretation that landed me with that feeling. We encourage people when they're trying to share feelings with each other to start with I feel and then fill in the blank with an actual feeling word, heard, angry, said, frustrated, and so on. Now, the danger is, of course, they'll say, I feel you're a dirty, rotten, (laughs) so-and-so. Yeah. (laughs) Just because you put I feel in front of it doesn't make it a feeling or uh, avoid blame and accusation. You know, I felt hurt when you said such and such, but you hurt me when you did such and such as blaming, accusing, and off to the races. What can you do if your partner is someone who has to get his or her own viewpoints out and just doesn't want to hear your viewpoint? What's the first step? Well, that would be a good candidate for five-minute rule. You can even let them go first if they have to. Mm-hmm. But this is a person whose feelings are strong enough that until they feel their feelings have been acknowledged, uh, they probably don't have room inside to hear another feeling. And, and I mean that fairly literally. When I'm hearing somebody say something that's really upsetting, I have a sense that there's just not space enough inside to contain that. And when I'm doing a good job of hearing the other person and so on, it's like there's space inside and I can hold their feeling without it endangering me. And so that would be my first thing is if you can stand it, go ahead and let them go first and say the thing until they're completely through without interruption. And if you can, you could summarize what you understood that they are feeling and why. Other things, I would not assume that the feelings that people start with are where they're going to end up. Very often as people express their feelings, the feelings start changing and they move and they may end up in a very different place than when they started. There's an advantage in just kind of letting them rip with whatever they got and concentrating particularly on where they end up. Do you think that all conflicts need a resolution? No, some of the conflicts that occur because of differences in perception are going to last for a while. They can begin to change. I I remember a couple we had, he liked to go hunting with the guys. And whenever he got home, she would begin with questions, did you do this? Did you go see so-and-so? And he began to feel like she was checking up on him and she was jealous and he'd feel controlled. And we began working on what other possible meanings to her behavior could there be. And he realized that what she was doing was acting like a person who felt insecure and not confident that she was loved. And with that change in meaning, his feeling began to change. But this is a a resolution that took some months before he could kind of get to the point that he interpreted her behavior as, I'm scared, I'm frightened, I'm insecure, and so forth. And then, of course, the behavior, if somebody is being controlling, is entirely different than the behavior you engage in if somebody is feeling insecure and unloved. So his behavior began to change, and that began to resolve the conflict. But sometimes you just do the best job you can of telling the other person what you feel and why you feel it, and it may take some time before you come up with some way of handling it so you both can feel okay about the resolution. Jim, you've worked with couples for decades, and I'm wondering if you see differences now in the issues that cause tension in relationships compared with what you saw when you first got into this field? Well, certainly the roles, the role of women and the role of men has changed so that the things now aren't fought over that used to be sources of conflict. But you've still got the old standbys of child-rearing, money, sex. It's hard hard to get past those three. What about social media? Particularly with your children. If you have children that are mid-teenage kind of thing. 
this is becoming a major issue. And most people are advising that somehow there be some limits set on it. You could sit down with kids and problem solve some limit on the social media. Certainly having social media at, at dinner is not a good thing unless it somehow becomes a shared topic that you can work on. We're glad you're part of our Nobody Told Me family of listeners, and we're excited to tell you about Lomi, the world's first smart waste appliance. If you've struggled with composting and feel it's too much work or feel bad that you're not doing your part to help the environment, you have to check out Lomi. Lomi is a countertop electric composter, and I love it because I don't have a traditional garbage disposal. With Lomi, I don't need to take a lot of trips to the garbage with food waste. I just turn food scraps into dirt with the push of a button. And in just a minute, we'll tell you about a special offer from Lomi for our Nobody Told Me listeners. I love my Lomi because just about anything I put in the kitchen disposer can be put into the Lomi on my countertop and turned into dirt in four hours. There's no smell when it runs and it's really quiet. Since I got my Lomi, I throw out way less garbage. Me too. And you know, I think it's cut down my kitchen garbage by at least a half. That means it's not going to landfills and producing methane. Instead, my Lomi turns my food waste into nutrient-rich dirt that I can feed to my plants. It is so cool to see. I feel great knowing that I'm composting and creating soil instead of garbage. I have a basically limitless supply of dirt now for my garden, and Lomi is so easy to use. While you may want to get a Lomi for yourself, you may also want to get one for someone on your holiday list. This is a great gift that will help someone year-round. If you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just make cleanup after dinner that much easier, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash NTM and use the promo code NTM to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to Lomi.com slash NTM. And again, that's Lomi spelled L-O-M-I. Use promo code NTM at checkout. Food waste is gross. Lomi is your solution. With the holidays just around the corner, Lomi will make the perfect gift for someone on your shopping list. Just head to Lomi.com slash NTM and use the promo code NTM to get $50 off your Lomi. I left your chapter on self-talk, and I'm wondering why reprogramming your self-talk matters for handling disagreements as a couple. Remember, your feelings are a result of the external event plus your interpretation. Now, what we mean by self-talk is that all of us have kind of a running commentary that we have inside. So, boy, was that a stupid thing to do? And why on God's earth did I say that? And boy, she's really being a so-and-so and on and on and on. What we really find is that we need to reframe some of our self-talk. I watch parents at times tell their kids, oh, boy, you're so stupid. But if you want your kid to act stupid, keep telling them they are stupid and you'll, you'll get there. You're programming them to act stupid. And many of us carry those interpretations of who we are and what we are inside ourselves and limit ourselves thereby. One example that I had recently was couple went to buy a new car and immediately got into conflict. He was raised in an immigrant family and it was really important in his family to show people around them that they made it. And so he wanted to immediately go to the Mercedes-Benz dealer and begin to be able to drive a Mercedes around the neighborhood. She, on the other hand, was raised in a working family where it was unacceptable to put yourself above other people and certain behaviors were acceptable and certain 
where certain kinds of cars were our kind of folks' cars and other cars were ostentatious and putting above themselves. So she was horrified whenever they looked at a Mercedes-Benz and for both of them, actually. There's an opportunity there if they discover this about themselves. They may want to reprogram themselves so they have more options in life. Self-talk is also self-limiting. And the reason for reprogramming is you can create a picture of yourself, change your image of yourself in a way that opens up more options to you. And in opening up more options, you may be able to resolve the difference you have with your partner. You say we may ask ourselves, what is this person doing in my life? We live in totally different worlds. Is it really possible to live with a person so unlike me whose sense of reality doesn't even resemble my own? And I'm wondering what advice you have for someone in that situation who really feels totally separated from their partner. I would like them to go into depth as to what is causing the other person's differences with them. My experience is when you really begin to understand what it is and background and experience that causes people to feel the way they do, there's an empathy that grows that changes that. But some of it can be your limitation, which is that you think those differences shouldn't be there. And you're going around creating problems because anytime one does come, you, you think it's bad. And it may be your expectation that there shouldn't be differences that's creating the problem more than the fact that there are differences. At what point do you think that relationships should possibly end and that divorce might be a good choice rather than trying to save the relationship? I tend to lean on the side of hanging in longer and trying to understand the differences. I think that's one of the advantages of any kind of committed relationship. So it may be easier for you to change yourself than to get out of the relationship. Now, are there times when it's time to move on? Yes. What are the guidelines you would offer people in order to learn from their differences during and after a fight? How do you move on? Okay, well, the big thing is to explore not just the differences, but why the differences are there so that you understand why his reality is what it is and he understands why your reality is what it is. So when you go away, you don't just walk away with the differences. You walk away with some understanding of why the other person feels the way they do. You kind of can sit with that for a while and the next time the issue comes up, you'll find it's changed somewhat. And sometimes it's gradual. Sometimes you keep revisiting the issue again and again and again, but it's changing each time. You say that you think it's beneficial for each person to read your book, Loving Through Your Differences, individually and then discuss it. Why do you think that is? Well, what I would love to have would be each person would read a chapter and then you could talk it over. And then at the end, go back through and there are some things that are obviously assignment-y kind of things that you can do. For example, setting ground rules that are best done when both people understand where you're trying to get. What I don't think is as good, well, it's certainly not as good for just one person to read it, although I still think people will get quite a bit out of it. I'd love to have couples kind of work the book together. Do you think we stand a better chance of success in a relationship if our partner is a lot like us, therefore we don't have as many conflicts based on seeing the world from differing viewpoints? If the person grew up in the same culture, the same socioeconomic circumstances? Uh, 
may be easier, but you may not learn as much. The differences contain kind of universes of meaning that you can go into and from which you can learn. So if you are always with a person that has exactly the same background and experience, you're probably not going to learn too much because they're just reinforcing the experience and values that you already have. If you run into somebody who has significantly different values, uh, then together you've got to do some learning if you're going to stay together. What advice do you have if we have a partner who is already resistant to change and feels like they're right all the time and doesn't really see a need to change their conflict resolution strategy. Tough one. Leave the book around where they'll see it. <laughs> <laughs> Some bathroom reading. <laughs> yeah. Get a male friend to recommend it instead of a female friend, because that's one of the troubles. It's harder for guys to admit that they have issues or problems or something that needs to be worked on. I find one of the best times for learning is you've just had a fight and you're both feeling a little raw. And that seems to me to be a good time for let's work on this together or let's work on that together or developing agreements. When, when you're both still hurting a little, if you get to the point where everything is super okay, why should he change? But it is true that guys are more likely to avoid conflict than the women, although the research shows that they feel as strongly as the women do, but they just have developed a different coping behavior. And that's one worth mentioning. John Gottland, researcher at the University of Washington, has done a lot of research, including what he calls the pursuer distancer phenomenon. And a pursuer is someone who, when she's upset, the only way she knows how to handle it is to express it, get it out, act on it, do something with it. The distancer is a person who, when he or she is upset, pulls away, wants to get away, think about it. And what happens is that the pursuer moves forward, the distancer pulls away, which makes the pursuer move forward even more and the distancer to pull away even more. My wife and I had some of that. She was more a pursuer and I more a distancer. And we had at times set rules. If she was upset, I didn't have to listen to her right that second. But I had to do it within, I think it was a 12-hour time period or something like that that I agreed to. And of course, what happened is the minute we agreed that when we were going to talk about it, I would say, oh, the heck with it, let's get it over. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like good advice. So what would happen is at first it would be a kind of a control thing. I'm being controlled because I have to deal with her feelings whenever she has her feelings. And then the minute we've got a mutual agreement on it, then it's not a control thing anymore. And I'd rather get it resolved also. Interesting. You know, Jim, our show is called Nobody Told Me, and we always ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? What is it that you've learned about marriage, relationships, love, life that nobody told you that you kind of wish somebody had told you about? Well, I wish somebody had told me that fights are inevitable. I was raised in a family where conflict was never done in the open. And as a kid, all I'd know is that the adults seem kind of itchy and I'd find out later on that that's what was going on with the fight. So I was surprised by how much fighting does occur. I think another thing, I was married before my first wife died quite suddenly. And after I remarried about six months in, we were having an argument and I suddenly realized we were having the same argument that I had with my first wife, almost word for word. Now, I knew how I could understand the script, but I couldn't figure out how she understood the script. And that's when it began to dawn on me that fights are not caused by the other person being a bad person or mistaken or this or that, but by behaviors we engaged in. And how can people connect with you online and how can they find out more about the book? 
okay, more about the book you can get at www.jameslcreighton.com or you can email me at jim at publicparticipation.com. And the book, Loving Through Your Differences, and it's available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and IndieBound, which is the Association of Independent Bookstores. All right, Jim. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We've really uh, appreciated this and learned a lot. Great. Good to be with you. Our thanks to James L. Creighton. Again, his latest book is called Loving Through Your Differences, Building Strong Relationships from Separate Realities. Again, his website is jameslcreighton.com. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thanks so much for joining us. 